Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from clinical development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner. And I'm Ramin Farhood. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward. On this episode of the Emerging Biotech Leader, we're going to be talking about strong leaders, self-awareness, and filling blind spots in their own skill sets amongst their team. We recently spoke to Dr. Suku Nagendran, and we learned a lot from that conversation. So we'll be referencing a little bit of that today. But we're Ramin and I are joined by our colleague, Dr. Bennett Muru, to really talk about some of the things that we're seeing in the industry. Before we jump in, one of the things that Suku mentioned that was really interesting to me was a quote that he loves, and I personally love, but I, I'm probably going to butcher it, is around the fact that nobody, that he's a nobody, that's somebody because of the team around him or, or some version of that. Um, which I thought was just pretty fantastic because it says a lot about his own ego and how he sees his team um, and how he sees their ability to kind of prop up the programs that he's worked on and, and drive the overall success. So um, that's one piece that really stood out to me and that I think is really interesting for us to be thinking about kind of across the industry and, and want to posit that as a starting point for today's conversation. Thanks, Kim. Um, I think what Suku mentioned with regard to you know, he is who he is because of everyone around him. I think that's vitally important and it's, it's it's actually quite crucial. I think this is one of the trends that we do see across the biotech industry as a whole. One of the challenges is, is that the biotech industry is evolving so quickly. Think about, you know, who we are in terms of all the developments mankind has made, but physically, you know, we're still meant to be throwing a rock at a bigger rock in Africa. For example, that that's kind of that piece. And with the biotech industry exploding as much as it had, not everybody's going to have all the talent that is going to be needed for every single aspect of, you know, a biotech development. So understanding what it is that you need. So, for example, Suku mentioned on the last uh, program that he's not a neurologist, he's not an expert in X, Y, Z, but he had no problem with bringing, with surrounding himself with people like that. And I think that's one of the biggest things we do see within the biotech industry at the moment is that people do unfortunately they're not able to admit where they may need support and, and it's and to your point Bennett and, and, the, and the point Suku was making earlier on the other episode as well it's it is the demand on the CMO role and these roles in the biotech it's so much you almost have to be a master of you have to be the master of the science you have to understand the business very well you have to understand the investors you have to understand to deal with the regulatory agencies, with the <clears throat> opinion leaders and the thought leaders and the patients. So it's almost the, it's required from you that you are this superhuman being that is able to immediately kind of pivot from one area to the other. And you have to be excellent and outstanding at every single one of it. And that's almost an impossible task, too. So. It's um, it's a little bit unfair on on what is almost demanded from from these roles. But on the other hand, well, that's what the job requires, and that's what you need to do to go forward. That's why it's so important to bring the the right people on your team and get the right the right folks behind you. Yeah, it's definitely an underappreciated roles role in a lot of ways, and I think one of the other things in in terms of filling out his team, there's a really important dynamic there in terms of the culture that they were able to build out of excess as an example. But one of the other things that I think really stood out to me, and it 
is very important in, in many of the organizations that we're working with, at, as well as the dynamics across the leadership team. There has to be an understanding and a patience of what the CMO can offer at a given point in time and the different hat that they have to wear from moment to moment, whether they're with their team or whether they're with the board or an investor, and how quickly they have to be able to shift in, in each of those changing scenarios. So I think the leadership team dynamics is also a really critical piece um, that's probably not as um, not as well uh, oiled of a machine in, in other biotechs. I agree, um, Kim. I think that is one piece that, it, that is vitally important. We're all making the assumption that all of the other senior leaders that are part of, you know, whichever biotech it may be, understand this process. Out of Exis, they, you know, they, they were lucky in a way. Suku had worked with Sean um, and, you know, they'd all worked with each other at varying points. They all kind of had a sense of who they are. That's not always the case at the rest of these other biotechs that are emerging. People don't actually know each other. People don't know what their strengths are, the weaknesses are. People are quite tentative. And I think that is a challenge. And I think, you know, the value of a chief medical officer and a strong clinical medical department is often underthought, depending on what the background of some of the other people within that biotech are as well. So I think that that's something that is often underplayed. And the other comment that Suki made again on the last episode, it requires courage. It genuinely does require courage. So if you are with a group of unknowns, you do have to be able to stand up, you know, shoulders out to take charge and actually be willing to take the hits that come back at you as well. And I think that's something that's that that's a very rare trait, I think. Why do you think other organizations haven't been able to crack this code? Now, I, I was reflecting on this a little bit and, you know, is it all just ego that everyone's a, a little bit too afraid to show their own weaknesses and individuals don't have that self-awareness to be as open with their peers on I'm not strong in this area and, and help me fill this gap or, you know, I'm too afraid to show who I really am or the questions I have. And um, I don't want to put that on the table. It, is it really an ego driven reason or do you think there's something else behind it? So Kim, I'm not so sure if it's about, it's only the ego and ego may obviously play a, a part of this, but I think it's also depending on where you are in your career, if you're up and coming and a rising star in your career, it's, it's sometimes it's more challenging and difficult to admit to your weaknesses because you're trying to establish yourself and, and show the organizations that you know all the answers and you're in charge and, and you're leading everything through, which obviously it's counterintuitive because it does work against you when, when things are not going so well. I think that that's another piece of it. Um, but I see more and more dealing with some of the clients that have been in industry for, for a while that they have gotten to a point in their, in their career that they can, they can easily admit to the fact that, listen, I'm not really good in these two or three things. I need help in these areas. And who are the experts, whether it's outsourcing or somebody internal that can help us out to make this happen. Uh, and that takes a, another level of leadership to be able to do that um, as well. So you're suggesting it's a little bit of like a, a leadership maturity index relative to where they are and the time that they've had to establish some of that self-awareness. I do I do agree that, that it is um, that maturity index. Um, I do think that that is quite important. I do unfortunately do think counter that, I do think some of it is ego based on some of the interactions that I have had with people as well. Some people are so scared of failure, which is understandable. You know, they're driven to do a certain, you know, to go a certain way. Some of the recent um, 
companies that we've worked with, um, you know, have, have spun out from well-known academic institutes. Now, those that are more mature do have a better EQ, let's say, from a leadership maturity perspective, but then you've actually got others, you know, where some people um, are potentially postdocs. They're quite young. They're quite young just in their career in general, regardless of it being a biotech or not. Sometimes they face challenges in that regard. I also think something that cannot be and should not be overlooked is the funding pressure. There is such a significant funding pressure, especially in the market today. Everybody, unfortunately, is looking for a return on investment. Suku mentioned his philanthropic adventures, you know, post of Exis, what he's been able to do because of that. You know, he wants to do the right thing. He wants to help make the world a better place. Early stage companies are funded by whomever they may be funded by who are looking for a return on investment within a short period of time. That lack of understanding of what development is, especially in a biotech space, causes people, in my mind, to make decisions that they probably wouldn't do if they actually had a bit more time to think about it. An accelerated development pipeline causes lots and lots of challenges. And this is where then ego and fear all come into play, I think. So that it's, it's so multifactorial. I think that last point is an important one for maybe us, for us to spend a minute on, which is the balance of the fact that you can make the right decisions despite needing to achieve incredibly rapid development timelines and key milestones for boards and investors or wherever else you need to meet. And I think we've all probably seen different permutations of this, but it's really challenging when you have all of these pressures coming in with an expectation of X, Y, and Z milestone. Um, but as a leader, you know what your North Star is, you know what you need to do. And to your point, Bennett, you haven't had the opportunity to even take, you know, two hours with your team to really think through the implications of whatever a decision might be. So finding the balance between maybe not taking an extended period for development planning, but taking a brief pause to think about some of the implications and kind of working through some of the bigger questions that could have a longer term impact on what you're building toward. Agree. And I think having just having that time to think, even if, again, it's not for months and months and months, just an hour, two hours, just something, right? Um, Halfway workshop max, yeah. Exactly. I, I think that's helpful. So, you know, one example of, you know, where, you know, in not too distant past, um, you know, I, I made a decision, you know, as being part of a senior leader for, a, you know, a company we were supporting, um, wanting to make sure that we're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing, not only for the company, but for the patient. It was a challenging development program. Everything needed to be set up in a stepwise manner. Um, the primary funders and who were, you know had heavily, heavily on the board, let's say, pushed back on that. But we stuck to our guns and we explained to them this is what we need to do. This is how we should do it. We got feedback from the advocacy community. We got feedback from regulators. So you, to Suku's point, you do need courage. You do need to be able to stick to your guns just to show that this is the right thing to do. What the investors decide to do with that information is their decision. But I do think, you know, as long as you can feel that you can sleep, sleep at night. I think another, another thing that you, another thing, Bennett, that, uh, that you mentioned earlier, that you definitely need beside courage, beside being able to admit to your strengths and your weaknesses, is also resources. You've got to have resources. If, if you're N of one or two, there's only so much you can do and it becomes really stressful. You've got to go really fast and you're going to make mistakes, right? So you really also have to be good at 
pulling uh, pulling the narrative and rationale together for your CEO, for your executive team, for the board of directors, right? Because especially in the smaller startup biotech companies, board of directors are very much involved with the financial decisions as well, resources decisions, and they have to buy into why you need a head of clinical or medical or why you need four more people on MSLs or in operations or things like that. And if you're also not so good at putting those narrative and rationale together and being able to tie that to a business corporate, you know, objectives and goals, then you're not going to get resources. Your job becomes more frustrating. You won't be able to meet the timeline. And, and that's a challenge on its own too. It's not like the resources is unlimited and is available to you. And you really have to make that case for it to get it. You need to be savvy with the resources that you can get access to and leverage them in the most optimal way. And Ramin, you brought up a really good point on, especially with limited resources, but a smaller lean team, you're probably going to make some mistakes. And I think we could all probably agree that any organization would be comfortable with a couple small mistakes, as long as you've prevented a really big mistake or a big negative outcome, right? But unfortunately the direction, especially when we're talking about gene therapy specifically, the direction the industry has taken is that there have been a lot of mishaps at a grander scale. So there's absolutely some some amount of fear at play in terms of early decision making because everyone's trying to avoid the the big, big mistake, but not recognizing that it's okay to make tiny ones in the path to preventing the big one, right? Right. Absolutely. That is very true. I agree. I, I think, yeah, I think that's... It's very important. I, I think of this sometimes, um, and this is, may sound daft and I apologize, but if you think about yourself as a conductor of an orchestra and you think about all the different sections, you know, within the orchestra, with the, with the strings, you know, the percussion and so on, when does each section need to come into play, you know, to create whatever, you know, that sound that you're creating? And that's kind of what a CMO in this role kind of needs to be because you've got to, especially in the gene therapy setting, you need to think about the clinical piece, the medical affairs piece, the advocacy piece, but then you've got CMC, you've got your product itself, you've got the whole regulatory component, which product you're using, at which stage of development. If you're using a novel route of administration, there's all device compatibility to think about. You're, go you're going to need, you know, seasoned experts within a certain space, whether it may be CMC, regulatory, uh, and so on and so on. You don't need to know everything about gene therapy, but you need to know about certain aspects of it and pulling it all together and basically being that conductor is 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 challenging but it's then conveying that message to the board or an investor even advocacy groups as well because you know again avexis in my mind is is a unicorn in a sense because it's a devastating disease you know there was no you know if the child can survive beyond the age of two and a half years of age that that's a win and you know they did that significantly but not all diseases are like that. There's lots of nuance as well. And being able to help explain what you're doing in simple terms to whichever audience it may be is another aspect to think about as well. No, it's a really great point. I mean, having resources is one thing, right? But also being resourceful is very important because there are folks out there that, that have exactly the resource and the experience and the expertise and knowledge that you're looking for, right? And, and you can tap into those organizations 
and with those outsourcing or consultants or top partners that they've been there, done that, they have that experience and they're able to kind of fast track and accelerate because you're, you're kind of getting into their collective wisdom and experience as opposed to when you hire somebody, you bring somebody on board, it takes time to hire, it takes time for them fully on board and get with the program. And that whole process may take anywhere from six months to a year, especially the higher the positions and the levels are. And meanwhile, you're losing all that time, right? Which is the investors are looking at it, the board of directors are looking at it. So there are ways that you can kind of stop gap and fill those needs Right, and it may not be just hiring more and more people. Uh, that's another thing that I think uh, we should definitely um, consider. There's one point you made, um, Ramin. Sorry, that just just triggered a memory. Um, ultimately, you know, the gene therapy, genetic medicines, you know, it, it's it's a novel modality. The timelines are truncated. Um, you can't go into a healthy human uh, initially. You know, you have to go into the disease population. But there's also also more complexity and more pressure that's being added because obviously there's this investor component, there's the you know advocacy component. So your traditional development timeline is being truncated. So not only are you truncating, you're adding in much more complexity. You're adding in complexity, truncation of timelines, and you know there's a desire for expediency as well. So all of this additional challenge that is being put forward, it, that's a cross-functional problem. That's not just with regard to the chief medical officer, but you know, so the companies that we've worked with, some of them understand that and it's easier to work with them. Some of them don't necessarily understand that and it takes us time to get them to that stage. But every single group that we've ended up working with, and Kimmy and I have worked on a few of them as well, when, when, when that penny has dropped for them, they actually understand what we're trying to do with them and bringing that cross-functional, cross-stakeholder, collaborative working group together, you know, with the eyes on the prize ultimately, which is the development of a therapy. So then that's beneficial for investors, advocacy, so on and so on. I think that's the piece that um, is sometimes often underspoken or underthought about as well. And maybe that's a, a good place to wrap today's episode, which is, is really around the fact that team dynamics would really make or break some of the success of these programs. It's the team dynamics and the culture that as a leader you've built for your team. It's how you're filling the skills, skill gaps across your team to make sure that everyone can trust that you have the right resources and skills at the table to really deliver against the promises that you're making above and below in the organization um, and that you're really driving towards a cohesive outcome amongst cross-functional leaders that you're collaborating with in the organization. So with that, thanks for the conversation today and looking forward to our next episode. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Bennett. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at SSIStrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review.